What's up? <laughs> What's up? How you been? I've been great, man. Good to hear I from know. you. How is uh, the season going so far? 6-0. Welcome back to another episode of All Things Red. On today's show, I have a character to say the least, but I mean, obviously a good dude. Uh, Ryan Sullivan, how are we, my guy? Doing great, John. Good to hear from you, buddy. Uh, same. It's been a it's been a while now. How uh, how's the season going for you guys? Season's going great right now. We're currently uh, six and zero. We're ranked number two in the coaches' poll. We haven't moved since the start of the season. So so far, so good. We just got to get rested and uh, keep plugging away as the season gets closer to playoff time. Now uh, you've been down there for what four years now? Four or five years? This is my fifth year, going in my fifth spring. And you still love it? Oh, absolutely. It's been it's been a blast, especially this year. I mean, Tampa, Florida is great. We've always had competitive teams, so the lacrosse aspect has been really fun. But this this past season, we've had uh, the obviously the Bucks won the Super Bowl, the Lightning won the uh, Stanley Cup, and then the Tampa Bay Rays lost in the World Series. So it's been it's been. <laughs> electric the city's been electric with uh parades and parties and it's been a real good time do you find it easy to recruit as dumb as that may sound uh i wouldn't say easy um it the easy part is when you get the kids on campus yes yeah but uh once we get the kid on campus and we get the parent on campus and they get to see um the, the the university and they get to see our kids practice and they spend a weekend with the guys then then it's not it's not so difficult but uh ultimately getting the kids on campus is the toughest toughest part about coaching at tampa as far as recruiting yeah because i know uh we were talking about it before we actually started but i was saying my i think it was yeah because i only played one year so the year i transferred in we played tampa you were coaching us at the time but i remember when we were warming up, there's girls showing them up to the games in bikinis and then just obviously like the weather and then the facilities in and of itself. I was me and Brady, I was saying to Colin, I was like, why the fuck did, <laughs> did we go to school in Erie yeah. when we can be down here? And this is a D2 good program as well. So like the fuck are we thinking? So <laughs> I know because Tampa didn't have a lacrosse program when I was coming out. So I don't know what the hell your excuse is. Well, I didn't know. Well, Tampa wasn't – You got Tampa was, like, just getting good. And then there right. – obviously, like, you compare, like, Mercyhurst to Tampa. You don't – you're not th- – like, if you're thinking I want to win a title or something like that, you're going to go to Mercyhurst over Tampa back in, like – Oh, a- absolutely. Like, I mean, I I mean, I love – obviously love Mercyhurst, and I'm, it's the best decision I ever made. But moving down here is a close second. Absolutely. I think that – why do you think um, – Everyone that goes to Mercier's says that because I have yet to find someone that went to Mercier's and didn't have a time the time of their life and say that. Well, the, the, the takeaway the lacrosse aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I just love. I was so fortunate to come into a class and we were all so very similar. We're all from the Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, Canada area region. So not only did we just have a blast together during the school year we would get together on weekends um at a central location like rochester and and everyone would would come for the weekend um we had majority of the team was from rochester and then the the buffalo kids they drive an hour or so and the canadians and then also the southern ontario and then syracuse so we just had a blast 
pretty much 12 months out of the year um, for four or five, six years, as long as we were all living in the same area. Yeah. Now you, you went to Mercier's, you won, you were a freshman when you guys won the title, right? Yes. Where you recruited, like, how did you end up at Mercier's? Were you recruited by any D1 schools, any other D2 schools? Like what ultimately led you to Mercier's? You know what? Uh, no, I was, I was recruited by Mount St. Mary's for about six, six hours. By the time I responded to their email, they had already filled up their last defensive spot. But, no, um, I was mostly recruited by Division three schools, uh, St. John Fisher, Cortland. No, not Cortland. Ithaca, Brockport, Oswego. And then um, my high school coach played with Coach Ryan in, um, in high school. And so, um, obviously, they still kept in touch. And a lot of Pittsford and other, Ro- other Rochester high schools – a lot of kids from those areas go on to play Mercier. So um, that's how I ultimately got recruited to Mercier. And then Coach Ryan had told me that it was the best class they would have ever brought in. And he was not lying. He was not wrong. I, there was a lot of studs part of that class. And obviously there was a lot of good players already on that roster as soft, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. And then the, that following fall and spring, we finally got to college and – it was a really, really unbelievable experience. With, because uh, I don't know too much about that 2011 team, but did you guys at the beginning of the year? I mean, obviously at the beginning of the year, you guys are your goal is to win it all, and obviously Coach Ryan always talks about that because um, that's like his ultimate goal is to get back there and win it. Was there any part during that season where you guys were like, "Fuck, like we'll be lucky if we win a playoff game," or were you guys pretty like smooth sailing the entire time? No, we were like, fuck, we'd be lucky if we make the playoffs because the year before, when I was in high school, my senior year, the year before I, I go to Mercyhurst, they had dominated every opponent they played until they played CW Post. They lost one game and they didn't get in. Back then in Division Two, only four teams made it. So fast forward to our, I don't know, was it our second or third game of the season? We play chestnut hill a second year program and we and we lost i think we may have lost in overtime i don't really remember but we lost and so we were like fuck we're done like uh, me being a freshman i didn't really understood i didn't, didn't really understand at the time why we were done but fortunately we still had dowling on the schedule who was ranked we still played limestone who was number one in the country at the time we beat them we beat the dowling we beat new york tech all highly ranked teams at the time. So we're still in it. And then we played CW post and we lost four to three. So now we only have two losses and we're definitely like, geez, we're, we're so screwed right now. But um, somehow, some way we, we got in and we just beat the bag out of uh, CW post at their place in the final four. I think it was like 14 to four, just beat the shit out of them, those guys. And um and we went on to uh, compete, uh, go against Adelphi, and then ended up winning nine to eight. I believe the score was. <laughs> How I I still remember because uh, the I was at the final four with my buddies when you guys won it, and I didn't know anyone on the team besides I knew Wagner from just like playing lacrosse in Buffalo, and then obviously Maloney because I used to play with Timon um, here and there. Um, right. And at the time, it was Maloney, Brian Sullivan uh Wagner those were like the big like defensive guys like in the area so I knew them a little bit but I didn't know them that much and then 
obviously when you're leaving the stadium and shit and and then you go back for the next day for the D3 game, like I kept walking past like the Mercyhurst like tailgate, saw how hard you guys were going. So like, do you have any, uh, any non self-incriminating like party stories from that, <laughs> from, <laughs> that from weekend? The... You know what? I think for the, obviously before the, obviously throughout the week, well, once we beat CW post, um, we got back from Long Island and we got it after it pretty good for a day or two. And then um, it was all business. But I'm thinking after we won, I just remember just because you, you don't see Coach Ryan in that light. Like, like you think of him as just straight business. Like, um, but I mean, I think everyone had beers in their hand. The parents were obviously loaded. The friends of the families were loaded. It was just a real genuine fun time. And then um, – and it was hot as hell that day, and we all hadn't eaten after, so I'm sure the beers were going down smooth and <laughs> drunker faster than than usual. But uh, and then we had like a six seven hour bus ride with no with no AC, and everyone was shirtless. It was just it was just a blast. It was absolutely uh, something you'll never forget. Of course, and um, now you guys, unfortunately, you went back. At what 2013 was it? 2013. Yep. So we went undefeated in 2012 and lost in overtime at home to Dowling. And then we went undefeated 2013 and then lost in the championship game to Lemoyne. And so you guys didn't repeat at all. Um, So your freshman year was the only year you won it. And then you guys didn't repeat at all. Was there a level of urgency like every year that you guys carried it with? Or were you guys just like, oh, Absolutely. The best thing about those, my, my four years there was just the leadership. One class would great. One senior class would graduate. And then the new seniors, they, they pet carry the torch. It was just business. I mean, um, the four years that I was there, my teammates and I, it was, it was, it was all business. It was once you, once we lost to Dowling, I think that pissed everyone off the whole off season. We returned a major main, our main group of uh, players um, just strictly business, especially when games and practices started. And so like something I want to ask you, cause you were both like you, I mean, we both played for him. I, you coached us. So you got to coach with him. Um, something that Dowd brought up when I was talking uh, with him and then, before I started recording with Ben and Derek, Ben and Derek both brought it up too, is that Dowd's take on it is that Coach Ryan is not going to recruit a kid or bring a kid on a team that doesn't have that, I would say, like blue-collar like work ethic or is a type of kid that is necessarily like soft. Like Dowd was saying that you have to be – even if you don't play, you have to be tough in some way, shape, or form to play at Mercyhurst. And that, well, yeah, absolutely. And, and Derek was saying, Derek and Ben were saying that it never phased them, but, and it would definitely didn't phase me either, but Coach Ryan has a way of not belittling players, but has a way of like breaking you down. But because he knows that the response that he's going to get out of the player is just pure straight production. It's not going to be like any type of like complaining or anything like that, like how he gets in players' heads and breaks them down. Um, and I know that sounds bad, when, which me and you both play for him, and we know that it's, he's not doing it in a malicious way. Do you think that that is why the program is the way he is, or do you think he just has a knack for being able to do that? I think Coach Ryan, uh, I think both. Um, Coach Ryan, he knows exactly who he's going after, and he know, there's a reason why everything 
there's a reason um, he says what he says and does what he does because he, a, he truly loves the kid. It may not sound like it. You may not understand why he's doing it until you, in your post career after college, but uh, he definitely, definitely treats everyone fairly. And maybe the only time he doesn't is when he goes after a better, one of the better players. You can't be one of the lesser players at that time, talent wise, lacrosse wise, and be like, man, he treats me differently because I'm bad. Well, that's certainly not the case because he goes after the best players um, more harshly and um, more often. And I, I think that uh, the kids, the players definitely understand that. And I think there's not one player that's not a better person um, after playing for him. I mean, they're all better, better people, better better adults and it's we're all very fortunate to play for coach ryan and i yeah i agree because um there was times in practice where he would be screaming bloody murder at me but it was never i never once was just like i i fuck this guy i don't want to play for him it was always like (laughs) next time i go in there give me the ball so i could shut him the fuck up but by me i mean i do the same thing i know exactly who and what bush buttons i press and then they come back and score right in my face and I and they think that they're making me look bad but I look to my guys and I say all right got what I wanted got got the response I wanted so every coach has their their uh their way of doing things but I think coach Ryan's spot on and I think that's why his programs have always been so success, successful no I don't where does I don't know if you would know because I definitely have no idea and I, it's not something that I've even thought about until Dowd mentioned it to me and I know Megan says it all the time but I never know if like Megan is just saying that because it was just like he was one of the boys or if it was like something that's actually part of the culture but Dowd was saying that he noticed um, from any time that we would have a shitty practice or we got our ass kicked in a game or if, say, if it was the defense that got their ass kicked that practice or the offense that got their ass kicked that practice, whoever was on the receiving end of the ass whooping, there was never really any complaining. But the next day, dudes were in sweats, in the gym, working their fucking ass off, getting after it, getting extra reps. Is that something that has been, like, by class by class has been built? Or is that just something that has kind of been the standard all the entire time? Oh, th- that's the standard. I mean, the standard um... – I remember after wins, after big wins, we would say to each other after the game, man, I really hope we watch the first half and not the second half. Well, we would always make a joke like, oh, man, I hope we I hope I make a mistake in the second half. That way we don't watch it in film, you know, because you're you're really going to get it. But no, that's just the standard. The standard is win or lose. You got to move on and fix it one day and then you just got to move on and get back to work. I mean, I think, I think, um, the, the sweats, I was probably the worst sweat pusher in the history of Mercyhurst, uh, lacrosse history. Um, I dreaded those every day, but it was, it was a no nonsense type, uh, type deal, whether you won or lost, it was time to move on and get better and worry about your next opponent. Now, after you graduated, you obviously, uh, got into coaching and you started coaching us, was coaching at Mercyhurst, did you just do that because it was the most affordable decision for grad school or you wanted to learn from Coach Ryan or like what was the whole like reason for Mercyhurst being one of your first like stops in your coaching career? Well, I was trying to go anywhere but Mercyhurst because I thought I, I at the time I just wanted to 
a new change of scenery. I wanted uh, a new opportunity. I wanted uh, a, a different voice at the time, but I, I wasn't getting any because grad assistants at uh, really um, at the time were mostly Division Two and Division Three, and I didn't mm-hmm. get much um, responses back from other coaches. So Coach Ryan said, "Hey." I got a spot open. Do you, do you want to take it? And I'm like, well, geez, I got nothing. I, I mean, this is what I want to do with my life. I guess I got to start somewhere. And uh, I was very fortunate that he gave me that opportunity. And I continue to learn a lot from him just uh, as a coach instead of a player. Was there anything that obviously, because there's the different relationship between being a play, uh, being a player and then obviously being a coach, was there um, anything that you learned either directly from him or indirectly from him that your four years of playing that never once crossed your mind. And it was kind of like a light bulb went off about the game of lacrosse. I would, I would say um, it's definitely, he taught me how to, um, cause being one of the better players, it comes easy for you when you're a player, but he would teach me how to um, obviously watch film, what certain, certain things to look at when watching film, when recruiting a player, um, communicating with the p- player on a visit, communicating with the player's parents on a visit or on a phone call. Um, he also taught me, or you, you grow up real quick. And so he taught me that um, you're there in the morning before the head coach arrives and you leave when the head coach leaves. Um, and that's something that I, I, uh, I still do today. What, um, now from like a coach's perspective, now that you're a coach, how, like, in your opinion, what is the proper way to watch film? Because as may, as dumb as this may sound, I mean, there's probably other players that you've had that have said the same thing. I have never, I, me personally, I never found the benefit from film. Obviously, there is a benefit, but the reason I'm saying I never felt there was a benefit is because I didn't know, like, I didn't understand film. Like, I understood, like, watching it and you explaining it to me, but like, when you're on the field, everything's moving so fast and, the game isn't as slow as it is on the screen. So like for me, I didn't necessarily find the benefit from film as dumb and ass backwards as that may sound. So like, how do you get a player uh, to understand how they can film gets them better? Like, obviously I know it does right. and I believe in it, but I just never understood how to correlate or translate it because in the game, everything moves so fast. My perspective on that is as a defensive coach, there's a lot more preparation and film study that goes into it um, rather than being an offensive coach or an offensive player, being a defensive coach. The, I mean, the little things matter in every facet, whether you're offense, defense, special teams, face off, whatever. Um, but you have to know every little minor detail matters. So it's not so much the on ball uh, play by the defender. It's, it's what are the other five guys doing? off the ball are they in skip lanes where are their sticks are there sticks at their hip or there's sticks in the passing lane are you one step uh pre-rotated or are you not pre-rotated at all all that stuff matters and then obviously you got to know what the what the uh what the characteristics are of the other players this person overhand high high to low shooter is this person a sidearm shooter is this person a split dodger left to right right to left roll back guy so there's a lot more film, I think, that goes involved that's involved in being a defensive coach or a defensive player than it is offensive player. Because offensively, you you have the ball, you're in control. 
defense, you need to be able to have every advantage um, to your disposal in order to stop that team or that player. So um, I, I break it down very simply. I'm not so – I break it down and what are, are the little things being done correctly because I, there's nothing more that pisses me off than telling a player that this that they're going to skip pass it or we're vulnerable to the skip pass with the way we play this and that player's not in the skip lane. So um, a lot of details go into the little things um, f- from my perspective when watching film. Yeah, and what would your – because like I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jackass here when I no. say that, but this is like – this is it. Like it's, this is exactly how I think what I'm about to say. And I know like um, – if I was to come to you and say this, you'd probably be like, are you fucking kidding me? Cause it's going to sound like I'm fucking with you. But the way I always viewed film as an offensive player of like, okay, if you, if you show me where I messed up in terms of like, say maybe like the ball rotation or taking a bad shot, any of that, I understand. But if you're talking from the perspective of like trying to show like a formation or a set or, you know, how a person is going to play me, in the game, they might not play me as high or as low or topside as the film showed. So, like, I always thought that as long as I knew where the ball was supposed to go next in the rotation or if a slide came early, am I moving it behind X? Am I rolling it back to the top? If I knew those basic things, I felt as though that anything after that didn't really benefit me because in game, there's so many different things that could happen that may not be on that exact film slide. So, like, right. from that Basically, from what I'm saying, how would you coach like a player that may say that? Yeah, I, I, it's usually said to me every time we go over uh, the other team's offenses, coach, what if this doesn't happen? I go, then you need to play, then you need to stick to our rules. And the same goes for offense. Like maybe this defender doesn't cover you the way it, it's been shown on film or scouted, then you just need to just keep doing what your offensive rules that your coach has installed in for you you got you got to just do that and that's i tell my guy everything's not going to be written up or uh the or everything on the field isn't going to be how i um draw it up on the board or in practice you guys got to be able to figure it out on your own and basically stick to our rules and you'll be fine and and uh for the past two years since i've been defensive coordinator they've done uh they've done a pretty good job at that now, um, was there anything that when you started coaching kind of like caught – I know like obviously you got to see the behind the scenes of like Coach Ryan and how he operates and other coaches and stuff. But like as like um, as like the industry of it in of itself of like being a lacrosse coach, was there anything that like caught you by surprise that you weren't expecting at all? Um, not really, no. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I just go into it with an open mind and you're always – you're always trying to learn something. So you may, you may hear something that you, you like and you put it into your own way and coach it your own way. And then there may be things that you don't like, or you don't agree with and you either, uh, and, and, and you don't, and you, and you don't, um, value that. So it all depends on who you are as a person, who, who you are as a coach and also what your audience is. Now you coached us, um, you coached us for a summer playing box lacrosse, no. and then when you, when you, when you got me to uh, play box, um, I think it was like me, Marco, Enright, and a couple other Shane. kids. 
That was yeah. Shane played. I know Greenway played. Um, we, had, I mean, for from a field standpoint, we had a pretty decent team. But from a box field like standpoint, we were we weren't as good as we would be as if like you threw us on like a field in a field game. But um, like two things from that is like one, do you what? Obviously, there's a major difference between box and lacrosse. But what what are the things you think box gets field play, players better at? And like, do you think that? they should be playing box from an earlier age because I think that if I would have played box way younger, that I would have been way better as a player. You know what? I, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think box across from an offensive standpoint, you obviously have you just naturally have to have a, you have better six skills. You have less space, you get less room. Um, and in order to play, you have to be able to pass and catch at a fast pace. And I think, um, starting out young and learning that concept and transitioning to the field game can only benefit you. Um, I think defensively you have to cover someone uh, with a short stick. And even though there's not a lot of space, you still have, there's still enough space to get toasted. So you got to learn good footwork and you also have to be strong. I mean, you're getting blindsided with picks um, on a, on a, on a every possession numerous n- numerous times in a possession i remember one time i we've i think connor hames he plays for lemoyne right now but he got in a fight in syracuse so he got kicked out of the game and then i had to go in as a coach because we kept <laughs> players i had no i had no rib guards and me being just an absolute idiot i didn't even think about it and i go to set a pick and when we we're on the power play and some kid two-handed me right in the ribs I thought I was going to die. I was like, just leave me on the turf and die. Just let me die. <laughs> let me suffocate to death. And we go. But um, and seriously, I think, I think box across is very beneficial for kids. And not only kids, you I mean college kids as well, but starting playing box across is definitely, definitely a good thing. Can't hurt your outdoor game. <clears throat> Speaking of fighting, do you remember when uh, Jimmy Chadwick uh, dusted that kid in the corner? Yeah, and when we were playing, <laughs> just, <laughs> we're playing, just casually boarded the kid, broke his neck, and then um, then just dropped the gloves. That was that was a good time. That was a good fight. He had that. He had a massive gash across. Oh his yeah, too. Uh, yeah. That was that was a good tilt. That was good. Good for him. He's a better man than I am. <laughs> yeah, they were throwing yep. hands, but. Uh, Whipple, well, that's what Whipple said. Whipple's like, if you're going to scum a guy like that, you have to fight. There's right, no other option. You can't walk away from that. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't alive. I, he didn't fight. No, I didn't. I've never seen th- someone throw hands like that and just soak punches yeah. and throw punches <laughs> at the same time. That was fucking insane to me. Um, Well, you know, so – obviously do you still coach box or was that just like a one-time no that was uh, i think i did that for two years uh craig whipple started it um i think it was junior b and i think we did it for two or three years um we had some good players i I think connor fields was in high school the first year we started it um and we had some good american players i think we had greg koholan we had eric the joe uh ryan vela was on our team um a couple of aquinas kids lombardi Billy Lombardi, he was on the team. But then uh, that was like the best year that we had the first year. And then I think the idea for American college players, the idea of playing box across is fun until you play against Seneca or against Onondaga. Um, and then it's like, man, they, these guys, 
this is for real. This is their life in the summertime. So that's uh that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> that's exactly how I felt because when um you asked me to you had me um join the team and because you were still coaching us and you said it was going to make us better. So I was just like, well, I'm not, I don't got anything going on all summer. So why not? Um, and I remember uh, every team we played, it, it kind of felt like, uh, I don't know if I had this conversation with Greenway or Enright, but it kind of felt as though that because we were better field players, that it was easy. But then when we played Seneca, I, I kind of, me personally, I felt fucking helpless. Yeah. Like I felt like I was playing yeah. lacrosse. Game I mean, those time. guys, I mean, the, I think at the time, the Buffalo Bandits, Darius Kilgore, hit, their head coach was a coach for that Seneca team. And the thing is, like, our kids, like, if you, like, hit somebody after the whistle or hit them high, they had, like, 22 fighters on their team. They were just going to just shit, shit pump us either on the – or, well, or, or or fighting and our, our poor kids they didn't we didn't know what the hell was going on so playing at well i don't know if you uh remember this but we were playing we were playing seneca at that uh that box arena in canadagua that was like kind of like yes, our home yep. place if yep. you would call it that and um my buddy tanner john he played for that team the seneca team and he played midfield at hobart with me and I remember there was this little kid that two hand cross checked me across the neck, and as soon as I turned around, yeah. I grabbed his cage, and he he tackled me, and he was like, "I'm literally saving your life because these kids will yes. fucking legit yeah. kill you." Yeah, I, I, <laughs> no, the only thing worse than playing Seneca at home was playing Seneca uh, in Buffalo or at their place because the majority of the team was Rochester, and they weren't going to travel to lose twenty two to five and get just get pumped, you know. Games were always uh-huh. short bench, and uh, but it it was fun. We had a lot of laughs, and I think where you went, you were with me when we went from Onondaga to Montreal. Yes, because we stopped at the we stopped at that little smoke shop, and we were yeah, just uh, ripping yeah. heaters and crushing yep. beers after yep. the game. Yep, I remember that. I remember that. And then uh, we got lost. We we didn't know how to go from New York. Remember, we got lost. Yeah, we were cutting through like yes, Adirondacks, like going the, to Vermont, and that was around. It was the right time. when those inmates escaped from prison up there. Yeah, and you you accidentally turned the lights yeah. off in the car, and it was like like just yep. for a second, and yep. you couldn't see like five feet in front of you, and we were all like, obviously, like you were driving, and me, Marco, and Enright were in the back just drinking the entire time. Well, I was in the front seat next to you. You were driving, Marco and Enright were in the back seat, but the entire time. We're just shooting the shit. You're driving. We're slamming beers, and you were just like, "If we see these guys, what like, <laughs> what do we do?" I remember. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, that. And then they found them. I think they found the guys. Maybe like almost like twenty miles from yeah. like where we actually were. Which yeah, like yeah. I remember that. That was funny. That was good. Those were those were good. Good couple summers there. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, you ultimately um, landed at. Tampa where you are now and you're still the assistant coach there what obviously like you don't you don't need to really be sold on the warm weather but like overall why like why did you choose well it's funny uh ever they I chose Tampa well Tampa really chose me I I wasn't really I was coaching at Ohio Wesleyan at the time and um we had just had a great season but it was just it just wasn't the right fit for me I don't think Delaware Ohio it wasn't too exciting um, I wasn't really familiar with 
how, how to coach D3 because D3 and D2 are two completely different um, things as far as like scholarships and recruiting and the type of kid you, you, you recruit. So coach Whipple at Tampa was, is my uh, high school coach's nephew or uncle. So, um, so he had reached out to me and said, Hey, one of my assistants is leaving for Queens. Would you, would you have any interest in coming down to Tampa? And I said, where do I sign? And I was, I was there probably two months later in August. I moved. Now, I don't, and I don't know, I like, I don't know if I'm asking this right. So like your input for sure would like you on this. Um, just from a coach's perspective, I'm always curious. So I got recruited out of high school. I got recruited by like a fair amount of division one schools. But when I would go for visits, a lot of them were telling me that, th- that my skills weren't necessarily D like D one for certain, like certain schools that were recruiting me. Like, for example, like Ohio state told me that, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't Myers, their head coach. It was one of their assistants that was like, you have the size, you have the speed. We could coach you into the player that fits our system. But right now you're not that player, but we coach you into that system. So we could, we would take a chance on bringing you in. Now there's obviously kids that are, aren't in that situation where they could just play straight up. If there was a kid that would probably say, I would say like, in that's in my, that was in my shoes coming out of high school. Would you recommend that they go to a D2 like powerhouse program like a Mercier's to Tampa, Lemoyne, or would you recommend that they, you know, try to challenge themselves to play at that higher level and eventually crack the field? If you're not, if you like, obviously, if you're not coaching at one of those schools, but just from a coach's perspective, what would you say to someone like well, that? Well, I would say I wouldn't recommend them going if if I'm a, if I'm an assistant coach or a head coach at at a division one school and I'm talking to a kid and I say, Hey, your, your, your talent right now, you're six foot four, you're 200 pounds, but you're a little bit slow. Your sticks, your IQ isn't there. Your stick skills aren't there. I, and, and I was still wanting to recruit you. I, if I was that kid, I would go to that school. Um, if they told me that I have the makeup, I just need to get coached by them. And it may take a year or two. I, I think I would strongly consider that school. But if I, I'm a head coach, I'm not recruiting. I'm not telling somebody to look at a Division two school, no. Okay, yeah. Because, like, for me, my, my thing was, like, I made my decision solely based right. off, like, the financials of it. Because my mom was always like, you, you, you know, if, if you – she's like, it's not the NBA or the NFL. So, like, if you're good, you're good. And – if you can play, you can play. So pick the school that you get is giving you the most money. But that I just I, I I don't know. I would say that like I feel like for some kids, and that's why I was asking the question. It can be confusing because like I knew from right away because my mom was oh my obviously my mom was right there and as a kid I'm like oh Ohio State thinks I'm good and she's like no like they see what you could be they're not saying that you're that so like I you wanted to ask that question specifically to you because you're a coach and. I feel as though, and I know you probably feel the same way. There's a lot of kids that feel as though they're better than what they are. And then they find themselves in a situation where it's like, I don't even like playing lacrosse anymore. And it's not because they generally don't love the game. It's just, they bit off more than they can chew when they could have went to a different program where they could play right away and and make an impact. I always, I'm straight up here at Tampa. We are straight up honest with them. Um, So 
so they know what they're getting themselves into. That's why they come to practices. That's why they they come to camps usually, and then that leads to um, official visits, so that they can they know what they're what they're getting themselves into for the most part. Um, they stay with the kids. I'm sure the kids tell them what it's like. I'm sure the recruit asks questions what it's like, questions that they can't really don't feel comfortable asking the coaches, but as a coach, we always, we're straight up and honest with them and, uh, and tell them what it's like here at Tampa, as far as everything that's involved, the day to day, um, every aspect of the program, we're upfront and honest with them. I know that for a fact, I can say that cause I'm the one that says it to them, but, uh, uh-huh. but every kid and every family is different. I mean, I, I was very fortunate. Um, some, some parents and some families need, a lot of aid. Some, some don't. Some want to go top division one and are good enough to go top division one. Some aren't. Some want to just go division one. I wanted to obviously go to a school that my parents could afford for me. And then I also wanted to go to a winner and I, I lucked out with Mercier's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And like, I would say that for, from my experience, at least I felt as though I got the best of both worlds because I didn't, I didn't play when I was at Hobart and I mean, that wasn't for anything other than the kids that were in front of me were just straight up better than me. And the, the way that they coached the way that Raymond coached. And I don't know if it's because he comes from the Petromala tyranny coaching tree, but he pretty much like made it known that like to every kid that, uh, which is kind of leading into my next question for you. He made it known that was like, if you're on the team, regardless if you play or not, it's because we believe that in some way, shape or form, you can contribute. We're not just keeping, you know, dead weight on the team. But I remember talking with Mike, talking with Dowd and obviously, you know, other people uh, sometimes like for some kids when they're not playing that mental doubt of like, fuck, I don't actually belong here. starts to creep in. So like, how do you think um, players can get a better grasp on that and not to get too long winded? I remember Convery was saying that, when practice actually started at Mercier's, he kind of felt like he was weighing over his head, just like how when we had our first official practice, like full contact, everything at Hobart, I felt the exact same way. So um, with that being said, like as a coach, like how do you um, relay that message so that the kid doesn't feel um, self-doubt? Well, and doesn't it's, want to it's put very that funny that work? you asked that question because early in the week we had a, a, a moment where we were in scout and, one of the couple of the, so you have obviously six offensive scout offensive players, and then you have two or three that are sitting on the sideline and they're like sitting on the bench. And I stopped the drill and I said, Hey, so-and-so come in for so-and-so. And they, they were shocked. They go, you know what you're doing? And they said, no, made them run the other kids, same thing. And then I pulled them in after, and I just told them how important the role of, of being a lower end guy, it may not seem glorious, which it's not, um, you're not going to be in any press clippings, obviously the great scout work that you do throughout the week, but <laughs> it's just so important that, and I said, I go, you guys under, don't understand how valuable you are to our scout team. I mean, each and every one of you are hand selected for a specific reason to resemble a player on their offense. And the better you do in scout, the more prepared our defense is for come games. And I, and I truly believe that. And I think we have guys that can't wait to be on scout team. Like they, they get upset when they don't get picked. And, but at the same time, they are, 
we have a we do scouting reports all of it's online and they need to know the same way they study for a math test or a science test or, or a history paper they need to study florida southern's offensive sets and they need to know it by monday and they need to continue to know it and if they don't then there's consequences but that, that keeps them involved and that keeps them um passionate about the program and passionate about winning. And I think our scout kids offensively and defensively do a fantastic job. They want getting them to buy in is, is, uh, is very special. And, and I'm really fortunate to coach the kids I have right now. Do you, um, do you think, I don't know like how you feel about this, but do you think that it, at Mercyhurst, for example, because I was talking about this. I don't know who I was talking about. It might have been with Ben and Derek. I'm not sure. But um, Dowd brought up how when he started coaching us, I believe it was Perna, Krusha, and all those guys their freshman year. And Perna wasn't uh, – Perna and none of those guys were, like, playing as starters. And the, I don't <clears> – <throat> I don't really recall anyone that I played with at Mercyhurst ever complaining that they weren't getting time or that like coaches being a dick or something like that. It was always like the next man and up mentality where it's like, okay, I'm not playing right now, but eventually my time's going to come. But then it always seems like when certain players, their time comes, they just, it's almost like they're yeah. shot out of a cannon and they hit the ground running. Do you think, do you think it's, do you think that that is something that is just like understood without being said, or do you think that that is something that, um, for some programs they can't constantly have to harp on. Cause I never felt as though it, I never felt as though like you guys or like coach Ryan ever talked about that. I kind of just felt as though it was like, like how Dow said, you got to like earn your role on the team. And like, you kind of like by that, that's like how it is. It's just like coach Ryan's not going to put you out there unless you earned it with your teammates and with the coaching staff. And then there's like an unwritten, like everyone knows that in the locker room. So that's why, Mercyhurst is kind of like in a way, like almost like a machine where it's like class after class right. after class that keep producing. Um, so do you think that that is something that's part of a culture or do you think that's something that a coach has to like, no, I don't think drill into the team, drill that t- into a team. Um, I think it's, it's a lot culture based. Um, I mean, the coaches aren't stupid. Like they're going to play the best players that, that give them a chance to win. They're not going to play the players they like the most. They're not going to play even maybe the hardest working kid. I, I tell our kids all the time, I go, just because you're the hardest working kid doesn't make you pass and catch. It doesn't make you something either you have, you can be slow as hell. You can't play defense. If you're, even if you lift a thousand pounds, um, coaches are not dumb and they're going to play the best players that, that, uh, that they can in order to win. But at the same time, coaches will say it. You got to be ready when your when your time comes, especially in the day and age right now with COVID. You never know if a kid's gonna miss a game due to quarantine or or COVID, and you have to be ready. You you just have to. And there's no like you're in college athletics, whether it be Division One, Two, or Three, Division One football, Division Two basketball, or or uh, Division Two lacrosse. You have to be ready and. Uh, it's it's not acceptable if you're not. Um. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I'm o- I'm o- I'm only curious about that because, like, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you were you were the, you were coaching us when I was playing, but I remember uh, it like when I transferred in, Coach Ryan was like, you know, well, maybe we'll put you on the first line right away, but we'll have you running second, sure, sure like that. Like he, I got I got to play like right away, but I also at the same time like 
wanted to earn that trust and respect from like the guys that were above me, like Vargo and right and stuff like that. But then to the point I just made, I remember coach Ryan didn't play me at all when we played Lake Erie the first game, because he said that sometimes I'm too sporadic and he couldn't trust me out there. If it was like crunch time and it was a one, one or like a tie game with like the last minute left that right. I wouldn't fuck up and do something stupid. And it didn't even seem, and, and I, I, like some people say that I say this out of just being nice, but I truly mean it. But it didn't even seem that when I didn't, when that game, when I didn't play, like, obviously I was like, what the fuck I want to play. But I never once was like, okay, the kid that's playing over me, I don't even remember who it was, but who, who I was, it was never like, oh, this kid that's playing over me is not going to get the job done. Like I had the utmost like trust in whoever it was. And then even like, obviously when he had to suspend me a couple of times and then before he kicked me off the team, the times I wasn't playing, I never once was like, yo, the guy that's in front of me is not going to get the job done. So kind of like back to like how I said, it's like that next man up mentality. How for a team that doesn't have that, like Mercyhurst does, how do you think it could be developed? And because obviously within the players, because it's one thing for the coaches to try to drill it into you and try to build it like that. But it ultimately is on the players to carry that. So like, if a from player a doesn't understand why he's not benched, then I think you need to get new players because every kid, every kid, maybe subcon like when he's alone and he's thinking about it, there's an answer as to why he's not playing when he's benched in front of uh, his peers, maybe for show, they'll be like, well, I do wrong. Well, well I, he may put on a little bit of a show being like, I don't know what the coach is crazy. Um, I think every kid knows why he he's not playing. Um, like you just mentioned. Um, and I think if, if you have a kid that would rather lose with him out there than win with him not out there, I think he, that's an issue. Yeah, and I was never mad at Coach Ryan. I was more, right. mad, there, more so the mad difference. at myself. You, you knew like, why fuck. you weren't I'm playing. Like, um, most, most, kids, most kids do. Oh, without a doubt. Um, but uh, I th for the kids that don't, they have some, some growing up to do and some soul searching to do. And and if they don't do it fast, then they continue to not understand. And I think you need to move on from that player and and find somebody else. Of course, totally. Now, um, you know, getting back to like, uh, you know, Tampa and stuff like that, you guys have had, I don't know if you guys do, I'm sure you do. Um, you guys get a decent amount of kids that transfer in from D1. Like, is there, has there been any kids that, have wanted to transfer in from a D1 program that you guys have been like, you know what, it just doesn't fit the system here. So thank you, but no, um, thank you. Yes. And like the most polite way yes. or no. Um, yes, there has been times where um, that kid will reach out and then we'll either talk to his coach or some, we'll either talk to his coach or watch his highlight reel, or maybe we'll remember the kid from when he was in high school. And then, yeah, there are times where we've said, we've said no, but for the most part, if a transfer wants to come, um, we give them the benefit of the doubt. Do you no. hold them to like a higher standard? No, because they're coming from a D one no. program, You'd be or right. is it just D one kids that come? No, here, they're about the they, same. They don't. They don't really pan out because they think they're better than they are. They they don't. They think oh, just because I'm Division one, I can come here. They don't know the D two game. There's a lot of talented kids on D2 rosters. There's a lot of talented teams in division two. And um, you'd be surprised how many kids 
that come from Division One that either get moved to our JV program or they just they just don't make it. Yeah, and I mean to to that respect, I definitely was one of those kids, but I never thought. I'll be honest with you. I never thought like, oh, I'm better than every fucking kid out here because I came from a D1 program. What I fucked up on was I did, oh, okay, it's D2, so the workload isn't as much, which it wasn't as much as Hobart, but I used that as an excuse to, you know, fuck around and be lazy and and stuff like that, which, like you just said, (laughs) it didn't pan out. But um, what is, which like leads me to the next thing is like, what do you, from like your personal perspective, um, coaching and playing what do you think is the biggest difference uh between each level like between obviously high school to college and then if, D1 and D2 just to far D3. as lacrosse is concerned i think it's a faster stronger bigger athlete i think the iq is tremendously high at the division to the division two level um I, the speed uh the speed of the division one players is incredible. Like I'm watching this division, this Duke Virginia game um, right now. And it's just, it's just the size of these bigger guys and the speed of the bigger guys is incredible. The IQ of the offensive players and the defensive players is incredible. And then the best player on the field is this Michael Sowers kid. The kid's probably five, eight and he's, and he's the best player on the, Oh is, yeah, I mean it's just the unbe- it's just unbelievable the, the the size and the speed at the division one at the top division one level is 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 the major difference, um, and then so I would say size and speed and the IQ. Do you think that yeah. IQ, I, IQ can be taught, or do you think that there's just certain things that um, both kids have innately that can't be? I taught? think IQ can be taught. Um, but again, it takes, it's, it's not just the coach or the offensive coach or defensive coach. It's the player has to really put in the time and recognize it. I mean, I know because I I didn't know, I wasn't a big lacrosse kid coming in and into, into college, but I was taught by some great players and obviously by great coaching staff. Um, and now I'd, I'd like to think right now I'm pretty smart when it comes to, or when, when I was a player, later in my career, <laughs> I was a pretty intelligent, high IQ player because that's really how I how I uh, produced the team. I wasn't the most athletic. I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't the best stick handler, but my IQ was probably the best on both teams that day. And, um, you know, kind of I would say like r- wrapping this up here because we've been talking for, you know, almost an hour now. If you uh, if, if a high school coach or not a high school coach, a high school kid comes up to you um, and what would you what piece of advice would you give them on what you believe they should be doing um, to get recruited if they're not uh, part of, like, say, a powerhouse program or a well-known summer team like they're part of, I would say, like a not a really like well-known area somewhere in the country or, you know, not on the best of team that's going to these tournaments and has the best exposure. Uh, I know it's going to be a financially tasking answer, but uh, they got to, they got to somehow get themselves in front of the coach. And that's usually camp. Um, If, if, if you're a family or if you, if you're Mm -hmm. a kid that wants to play at the next level, I would definitely budget aside a couple thousand dollars if, if at all possible 
and, and just get to a camp, whether it be an overnight camp, a day camp, uh, a satellite camp or a, cl- or a clinic for a couple hours, get your skill set in front of a coach and, uh, and you'd be surprised. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the level is D one, D two, D three. If you're not on a club team or you're not on a good club team, um, put together a highlight film if you are, and then get yourself in front of a coach. And that's usually by going to a camp. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel as though that, um, we were pretty spoiled in that aspect because there were so many guys that played at high levels around us. And then obviously Buffalo, Rochester, so close to Canada, Syracuse region as well, that we didn't really have to put ourselves in those situations because we were playing with kids that were bringing that attention. So, you know, as a coach, what are not, not necessarily towards Tampa per se, but like as a coach overall, what are like the, I would say like the top three things that stand out to you when you got, you are evaluating a kid and you look at him and you're just like, okay, that uh, kid definitely, could definitely say play how he, how he runs, how he moves side to side. That's definitely important. Obviously the, the size of the kid is important. And then, and then you get to, you see what is, what, what do you think his ceiling is? Um, what I mean by that is how much better can the kid get? And I'm sure a lot of kids, majority of the kids get better. Um, obviously from high school to college, but, uh, or through, through college. But I think that the, the way they run with the ball in their stick, the way they shoot on the run, that's definitely very telling for an offensive player. And then for a defensive player is obviously their size, how they move laterally, their technique on or off ball that can kind of show IQ. Um, but so, so all that stuff is important when evaluating a player, when you're sitting on the sideline or watching a film. And um, with that being said, I would say like the next thing I had for you was if there was, I don't know, like a walk on, like a kid that like walked on to Tampa and he didn't have, he obviously didn't have a starting position. He was just in what, what would that kid, if you had to guess, like say if from the time the kid walked on and then by the time his senior year came, hypothetically, the kid transformed into like an all American. And then this is a hypothetical answer. What what would you assume that kid was doing on a daily day basis, like in detail, like how how oh, many out, extra hours every day. a day do you think he's um, a lot? You get you don't just get better in the two hours that you are at practice, or the hour that you're uh, in the weight room. You get you get better by what you do when no one's watching. I mean, our, our player of the year, two three time All American faceoff guy, was a JV player his freshman year. The following year, his sophomore year, he was second team All American. His junior year, second American. His third year, player of the year. Um, so all these kids, I mean, if you want to get better, you need to do it on your own. If you're a walk-on kid or you're not a starter, you need to put in the extra time to get better. And I feel like a lot of the Division One kids understand that. I think like they're lax rats, most if not all of them. And then at the Division Two, it kind of it kind of um, dwindles down a little bit as far as people, the people that want to get better um, and put in the work off the field. And what's your coaching style? Like, do you, how important do you think it is? If at all, do you think it is to have maintain that fine line of like, um, obviously you're not going to be friends with your players because you're the coach, but like having that fine line of like, when you're on the field, 
it's all business all the time. So you're the coach, they're the player, but then building that relationship with them where when they're off the field or when they're not playing with you, they would right. be comfortable yeah, enough definitely. to like want to go I grab mean, a beer once with Once the kids have graduated, um, I've been to wedding parties. I've been to um, uh, their parents' houses when I'm, out, when I'm in the area recruiting. Um, it's been extremely, extremely lucky to coach such great kids. And I'm close with a lot of them still to this day. Um, their parents are, are, are good friends of mine now, but playing for me is, um, what did Bruce Harrigan say a couple, couple months ago is, um, coach, coach them hard, love them later. I I'm kind of very similar to that, but, uh, I do things in my own way. I, I mean, I give the kids options. I, I give them an opinion once they've earned that opinion. Once I've, once I've earned their trust, I give them options. And, and um, I, I let that somewhat of a say in how we defend things. But they know when I mean business, and I'm very upfront and honest with them. I say, if you guys give me, give me this, uh, I'll give you that. Um, but if you piss me off or if you don't listen, then we're going we're gonna to do things the hard way. And um, – very similar to Coach Ryan's style when we were playing, but uh, with a little bit of a sully touch, I would say. <laughs> People that are listening to this that know this, <laughs> sully touch. That, that know me understand what that means. But uh, wow. no, the, the, the kids know that I, I, I mean business, and they're very respectful, and they understand that. And they, uh, but also, I like to have fun. I like to joke around. I like to mess around. And uh, there's a time and place for everything. Yeah, and that's something I wanted to ask you because I know me personally, even though I may have never said this to you, there'd be times where we'd be in practice and obviously you're shit-talking too because you're trying to get your defense to play and then the second we walk off the field, you're all buddy-buddy with us. And so, I mean, I know I was a couple times where I'm like, I wouldn't say it, but I'd be like, oh, I just want yeah. to tell him to go fuck himself because I'm still like thinking about practice and I'm, st- I'm still like, like, fuck, like I didn't, I didn't get the job done and then obviously – you know, I remember there was a one play where Liddy stripped me and I went to pick up the ground ball and then he knocked the stick out of my hand and you almost ran directly right up to me. But like, not obviously going to repeat what you said, but like just, you know, getting on, getting on your guys, hyping them up. And then because we were getting our ass kicked and we had to run, you I, being, a coach being like fired up. I still have stuff. those witty and comments it was, um, I, we, from time to time. But yeah, I, I, I still do that. Uh-huh. And so I never, I was never like, obviously like the way I am is if like, I never wanted to end badly. So if that's how, like the one day that's how practice said, we did the ball hunt stretch, then we got off the field and I was still so fucking mad because not only did in the play, I looked like a complete dust duster, but then I got you talking shit to me on top of it, on top of all the defense and everything else. So the entire time, and then you come up to me afterwards and we're, we're like, you know, said some things, not yeah, in like right. a bad way, but in my head, I'm like, yo, go, like, go fuck yourself. Leave me alone. But I, but, but at the same time though, to your point, like the next practice, I was like, yo, I yep. can't wait to get out there. Cause he says one word to me, I'm, yep. I'm going off and I'm going to make sure that his defense looks like shit. So I find as though that like with certain coaches having that kind of relationship, right. I mean, you were closer in age with us than you were coach Ryan, but at the same time, like to my point, I feel as though that with like certain coaches that are able to do that and do it successfully, you ultimately get more out of your no, players you're exactly like right. on a and day I, by day I've, basis uh, going forward. I've uh, and I, at the same time, you find kids that you can't really do that to. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, I, I I still do that. Hundred percent. They be offense or defense. If, if the same applies to the D guys, um, I'll, I'll say some intense word choices and. Uh, <laughs> But uh, but they know where I'm coming from, and and they want to respond. But they ultimately, before the words come out of their mouth, they understand that I'm right, and they and also the trust factor comes into it. They they know that um, whatever I say to them or however I approach them, they know that it's in the best interest of uh, of the player and the team, and they they understand that. And that's and that's the first thing about coaching is you, they don't care how much you know, just know how much um they love them they're not don't care about how much you know about the game no one does no one cares about yeah. my career at Mercyhurst and and until you have that relationship and then then they start to care more or they start to um to wonder more and they're more curious if that yeah for sure and you know kind of like no, that makes I no I completely get you on that. That makes complete sense. And because I have I had a couple of buddies that were were saying um, that they they think it's kind of funny that I like that style of coaching because I always found and I mean you coached me so you would know best. I always found that if I wasn't getting screamed at or I wasn't you know there wasn't some like verbal abuse, I don't want to say abuse but verbal abuse in some sense of like I wasn't being shit talked or I wasn't being screamed at naturally I would get lazier. So it's like for certain players like me, yeah, I felt as though I so needed, I, I needed I some players like they kind of shut down. So with, um, and I went to the right school for it, but uh, I'm so grateful because I, I needed to be held accountable when I was younger on a, on a daily basis. Because if not, I would take the easy way out and I would punish the team with my with my action or my my body language. And that, that got put to a to a stop real, real quick. For kids that um, can't handle that, what, what, like, how do you coach them? Like, what's your alternative? Because I know, for example, like the one, you, I don't even know if you remember this, but the one scout team, uh, I was fucking up a drill pretty badly. So Coach Ryan put me on scout just for like the end of the practice. And when I was on scout, you were pissed off because the defense was getting their ass kicked in 6v6. And I remember I threw a pass to the left side of the field when it was supposed to go to the right. And you made me do that uh fucking i used yeah, to that, before, that's where what you're either, it was like a jog but you had your stick above your head and had and, uh, that was freaking brutal i haven't done it i haven't done that here at tampa but yes i get extremely pissed off if you ever meet a former tampa player that's played for me that i when the scout goes off script i get extremely extremely frustrated because i only have so much time to get something in and if they go off script, I get extremely irritated. Um, and, yeah, that it really pisses me off. If you want to piss me off, go off script and scout during a 15-minute segment of practice. That really irritates me. <laughs> yeah, and you were – and that that was like kind of – I mean, I ultimately – that I ended up getting the boot from the team, so I didn't really have time to like – like to really fully process and develop what I'm about to say next. But I remember um, that happened. You made me do like three or four laps. You brought me back and then I fucked up again. And you're just like, just get the fuck out of here. Get out of practice. And then as we were walking off the field, you were still pissed off. And you're like, um, you're like, that's why you run second line. 
and but you said it and, and I was like okay I'm still playing though and you're like no like you came from a D1 program you should be a starter and be an all-american but you're not and that's why you're on scout and the way you said it though like kind of going back to like you know how you could talk to certain players you were saying it in like a big like fuck you way to like try and I never really like I still remember it to this day but in the moment I don't like I was I don't even remember what my re- my response was but like obviously not playing anymore maturing and growing up a little bit I was like oh I'm like he never really had an issue with me he was just basically saying that like hey most of these kids this is their ceiling you came from a higher place and you're producing less than you should be so that was your way of like trying to get it out of me so kind of coming full circle with this like for a player, I would say like using myself as an example that doesn't right. really like pick up, didn't really pick up on those things in the moment. Like how do you, how do you, how do you toe the line of like, okay, I need to go harder at this kid or this kid just like, when do you need, when do you toe that line of like, okay, I need to be harder on this kid or I need to sit this kid down and be like, yo, I- I'm trying yeah. everything I can. Yeah, You're still not I, being I receptive. That, like you, you need you to know real it the quick fuck up who you, if that who, makes sense. who you can coach one way and who you have to kind of dial down or kind of do it in a more personal fashion, whether um, and that means like behind the scenes or one-on-one um, and it can't just be spur of the moment in front of everyone. There's a kid on our starting defense, smart kid, um, great player, does his role fantastic, but he just doesn't respond well to public criticism. And that's not exactly how, in his earlier days, that's not how you could get him to do what you want. And then once you learn that and, and understand that and then build that trust throughout two years that he had, then you can kind of coach him how like in front of others and be hard on him because that trust is there. And I think that's what it all boils down to is, is, is just the, the relationship that you have with the player. If, um, if some coach first day I show up or first year or two that I show up and this guy just yells at me without having a, a relationship with me, I don't know how I would respond. Um, so I, I think it just depends on the situation, depends on the player, depends on the year of the player. And then if you're, if you're fortunate, like fortunate enough, like me to have very receptive, mature um, players, um, it makes your job a lot easier, whether you, are happy with them or are upset with them. Yeah. Cause I, that's the other thing too, like kind of like finishing it off with that was that like, I never really had too many one-on-ones with like you or any of the coaching staff or even coach Ryan, like anytime I was being right. talked to, it was in front of the entire locker room or everyone on the field. Um, but at the same time though, like, I think that that was the case because that was like the most response I would be like, if I had a one-on-one conversation and be one in here, want the other, but like when you are going at me and singling me out in front of the entire team, to me, it like, it always resonated with me more. Cause not only are you saying right, I, I was one-on-one, you're also the, letting I it be known to, to everyone else. There was a time where I, I talked back to one of the assistants in six o'clock and six and a, six a.m. runs. And I made the whole team run and I just got called out and it was the last time I ever did that. So that was the way, I mean, I just hated letting down the team or punishing the team because of my actions, whether it be on the weekend or um, not cleaning up the locker room when it was my day. Um, you just, and you just really had to be on the ball all the time. And uh, it, I'm very fortunate Um that I am the way I am the way that I am most because of 
a big part of it is due to playing for at Mercy and just being held accountable and not wanting to be embarrassed. That that worked for me. And for a lot of other people too. Yeah, I only made the team. <laughs> yeah, and I only made the team run one time because it was I think my first family. It was the family first ever family first practice. I remember we were doing six v sixes. And um, Deacon came to me off a pick and I went the opposite way and I went to swim him. But when I swam him, he grabbed my penny and was holding me. And then as I was trying to get free, stripped me. And Coach Ryan was like, what is this fairy bullshit? And I was like being pissed. I was like, you fucking help me. He goes, excuse me? Yeah. Whether you right or wrong, you just could never, ever talk back. I'm like – um, not only a coach, but I always tell my players, I go, whether you're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It's the way you show respect to teachers, weight room staff, um, uh, adults in general. It's just, uh, you just don't do it. Whether you think you're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And he made us do that. I don't even remember what it was called, but I know you did it too. It was, uh, you never made us do it, but you did it when you played for him yeah. where it's like you jog the end line, sprint across, jog the end line, sprint across. And I made sure that I was one of, uh, the front guys because like that, that happened at Hobart. Anytime we would ran the yeah. kid that yeah. caused the running, yeah. if they weren't the front of the pack, like you're still running. So but that was like the first time that I realized that, like, oh fuck, like I can't just like, because like I said, he's uh, like, what is yep, that? that and I'm like, he's fucking holding gonna, me. What do yeah. you mean? And he's that's, like, oh okay, yeah. You yep, just can't, you, you can't do that. <laughs> even when you give no, even when you give him no response, <laughs> no, I know, eyes, I know, I know, I know. It's just, uh, I, I think, I think it, it, it's, it's just all part of. It's fun to laugh and joke about it now, but. uh Yeah, I don't even uh, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember oh, after great. we played Florida Southern and we pounded them be- with that practice. It, it was like two days, two days before we played Tampa. We were on. We had that day practice where it was supposed to be walked through, and I don't know if it was like yeah. something yeah, happened yeah. or what it was, but I just remember we, he was making us run. Sprints he just doesn't day. care if you're not going to do the right way. If you're not going, he doesn't care if you, it's a day before a game or. Or in the fall, um, if you're not doing it the right way, the way he, the way he instructs it, and if you don't put in minimal effort, you're just going to get punished. And I think that's that's the right way to go about it. That's how you set a tone. That's how you set a culture. That's how you how you get your point across. Guy, I remember one time we we were playing Walsh, and we were we were just the best team in the country, and we were playing Walsh. I think they were a first year program. It was like 22 degrees. Wind chill with, was like 12 degrees with the wind chill. It was just a miserable day. We were going to beat them by 40. And we came out not tight. Like kids were straggling from behind. And Coach Ryan just blew the whistle and said, I think he made either made us run or we had to do it again. And um, and that if you just got to do everything the right way, whether it be playing offense or defense or – or coming out in the right way. I mean, just you just had to do it the right way, his way of it wanting to be done, and that and that's the that's the that's. I mean, you're an adult now. We're all adults now, and that's you got to do things the right way, or you're not going to be successful.
Absolutely. And, you know, kind of ending on this, um, I ask everyone this. So uh, if you were to meet a younger, <laughs> in his prime, Ryan Sullivan, I mean, the oldest you are is 18, but you can meet yourself when you're younger. Based on all the experiences you've had in life, lessons learned, um, fun things, funny stories, just whatever, like kind of, you know, what would you tell yourself about life and to carry with you moving forward based on I everything you have had really um, the chance to experience uh, well, so far in life? Well, that's not true. I wouldn't change the way I treat people. I wouldn't change um, anything that I've done off the field. I, I think I would change. There's one regret that I have in college, and that's I, I wish I uh, worked harder in the weight room. Um, I really do. I think I could have been a much, much better player for our program if I had just been 200 pounds instead of 175. Um, that kind of almost luckily we didn't lose, but it almost came back to bite us in the ass because I was just getting ragdolled the whole game against Limestone in the final four. But I think that's my, my biggest um, my biggest regret and just I wish I matured faster. Um, but other than that, I have I have no I have no regrets about anything, really. And what would you say to, and like the last question is for a kid that um, isn't playing or maybe suffered an injury where they have to sit out for a year and then when they come back, they're a little rusty and stuff like that. From the mental aspect of it, what um, it don't get you discouraged so that they can eventually That's get to the where they want to be thing. in playing. Uh, we had a kid, it was my first practice ever at Tampa and it was his first practice at Tampa and he tore his ACL. And he was out the whole year. Um, kid was out the whole year. And he came back finally. And he, he was just like a baby deer. And he just got so frustrated because he wasn't the same player that he was coming out of high school. And I just I just told him, I go, I go, Nick, just just relax. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take time. I mean, continue to listen to the trainers, continue to do things on your own. Um um, when you're not at practice and, and he ended up being a, a pretty good player for us. And um, it's, it's just very important that they're patient. They're not going to come back and, and be the best player on the field, but if they just stay patient and, and uh, stick with their process that the athletic trainer and doctors give them along with the coaches, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. I like that because I feel as though, um, you know, and leaving it off on this, um, I kind of feel as though that kids are physically mature for the game in college. But like because you are still like young, the mental aspect of it isn't necessarily there because you go from playing all the time, right. being one of the best players on the you, team in high to school. You go from joining being a team where everyone was the guy in a piece of in shit. high school. And exactly. And uh and that's very important. And then if, if hey, you literally, just do yeah. your role, sometimes your role as a freshman, is, like mine, was to clean the bus and then be on scout team and then just be a fun person to have around. And then as I got older, it became my role became bigger and bigger. And then and <laughs> you got to be mentally tough enough to take that responsibility and um, and all that stuff. And that, that's uh, I think me and my teammates. Uh, really understood that. And I think that's one of the big reasons why we were so, so successful.
And then I actually just thought about this too. So this would be the last question for you. Um, what in your opinion from what you've witnessed and seen is the difference between um, if there is a bigger difference outside of obviously skill and talent, um, the difference between a freshman that comes in his freshman year is a key role to the team's success so, right away uh, can repeat, versus repeat a kid that, that doesn't see time until his junior or senior year. So, like, what what is the biggest difference that you notice outside of skill? But if skill is the only thing, then that's what it is. But if there is something outside of the skill and talent of the player, what have you noticed, if any, is the biggest difference between a kid that isn't contributing in a big part of the success till their junior senior year versus well, I a think kid the, that the walks person in that, as the a freshman, freshman that walks in is right one of those away, guys right away. Plays. Uh, I think their their job, like Andrew Wagner, for example, and Pat Baloney, th- their job was to be seen, not heard. And then I think as you become an older player, um, you, your role I- increases. And then you also realize that your t- your clock is running out. So the importance of every practice, the importance of every game um, means more to you, you as an older player than it may um, be then it may, might be in a, a, a freshman player, a starter. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. Cause I always, um, and I've never thought about that, but that actually, now that I think about kids that I know that came in day one and were not the guy, but right. one of the guys that now that you say that they were very like they weren't vocal like my sophomore year i was like our you, second to your point of like Greg's best, you know greg be seen, who I think is the best division two player to ever play uh, just i mean he was a he was an out he was a he was nasty he was a player remember, of the year as uh, well like summer ball but i was his second pole so i had to i only had five or six runs a game and most of those were in the first half and my job was to not get scored on when i'm on the field don't be the reason why we get scored on and just kind of be do my role. And then when, when I became a starter, my junior and senior year, that's when my leadership really um, escalated and improved. And uh, unfortunately for us, we, we were, I think those two teams were good, good teams. Obviously 2013 was. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, yeah. So, dude, when uh, you think I know, I I feel like I you can't. I'm gonna. I feel like you're not gonna be able to answer this, and this will be the last one. Tampa, Who dude. wins a national title first? Mercyhurst wins it again, or Tampa me? wins their first. I gotta go work with where I'm at. <laughs> I had a feeling you were gonna say that. I couldn't the office tomorrow <laughs> if if I said otherwise. But uh. I, I, uh Oh, of course. I know. I wanted to see what you say, and I was hoping you were going to say Tampa. Last year's season, the COVID year, I think it would have been Mercier's in Tampa in the championship, and there's a very good chance um, that it could happen this year. I mean, they're extremely, extremely uh, obviously well coached, and they they have some just some stud players. I know they took a a loss on um, Tuesday, but the, the coach Ryan will have those guys up and ready, and and them and Lemoyne and Adelphi, they're they're extremely and Mercy, they're extremely tough in the north. And then in the south, you have us and and uh, 
uh, Lenore Ryan and Wingate and and uh, Mount Olive. So it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really tough year. But uh, I, I really think um, you never know what's gonna happen this year. But uh, I I was a firm believer, and I said this to Coach Ryan himself. I think it would have been Mercyhurst in Tampa in last year's championship the way both teams were playing and the way they were built. And uh, we actually play them in Baltimore next year. So that should be fun. That would be fun. And kind of to the point I was making earlier that you said is like a culture thing about like, if you do bad or something like that, the next day is like the, one of the craziest days I actually laughed because I, I saw they lost to Mercy. That's not yeah. why I was laughing. But whoever they played next, I saw they put up thirty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was uh, just like, no, okay, they're they're, they're going to be extremely. Mercy, I don't know what else is. Extreme, they're extremely good, and they're just going to continue to get better. And so, whoever plays them in the playoffs, I would I wouldn't want to play them. So, that's that. So, all right. Well, I mean, I, I had fun. I mean, it's, uh, geez, I couldn't even go to Lyle Leslie. It's been, it's been a while, but I, I had a blast now. catching up with you, telling um, some stories, and uh, it was really, really enjoyable for me, too, John. Yeah, so thank you. I know, I know how busy you are with like coaching and all that shit, and so. Um, like I said, I greatly appreciate you taking the time out to do this. And then, uh, yeah, all right. next all right, time I'm in like Florida, I won't, I won't hesitate to hit you up. Cause, uh, you got beers on me coming your way. I won't. Hey, Bill's, Bill's. <laughs> yeah. Year. So and don't forget. I said that either. So make sure you cash in on that. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. The bills are coming down. Uh, to, I thought, to Tampa. I thought the, the bills are coming down or the bucks come up here. Oh fuck! I might have to jump on that because I know um, Megan. Megan's moving to Miami next week because he got a he got a, a job offer and a good opportunity, so he took it. And I know a bunch of us. Um, I don't know if Ben is, but I know like Derek Conbury, right. Greenway, possibly Greg, and a bunch yeah. of us because we all still. I mean, just like probably like you, Wags, and Maloney, and your crew. Like we talk almost every day, like, um, and we have like a massive definitely. group chat and Sounds Snapchat good, that we talk in daily, and that's one of the things that we're all. Uh, plan to get together for so i appreciate this i'll, I'll let you go because i know you i got appreciate it thanks buddy to do tonight so but uh thank you